Genesis chapter 9, and beginning to read at verse 8. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more of neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Well, friends, we're looking this evening at uh, this Noahic uh, covenant, the covenant that God made uh, with Noah and his sons, and as we'll see, not only uh, with them, but with uh, all of us, with all mankind, and even uh, with the animals. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that and seeing its, its rev relevance uh, for us. But uh, from our previous study, we gathered uh, that the world was to go on. God didn't utterly and completely, once and for all, destroy the world when that flood came. Yes, all living things apart from that which was in the ark was preserved. But God's intention always was that the world should go on in a new way, a new environment, uh, physically, a new environment. The land would have been moved, uh, the air would be somewhat different, but still the world was uh, to go on. God isn't finished with the world. He hadn't finished with it, and there was a reason why the world had to go on. There was a reason why he preserved Noah and his family and brought them safely into that new world. And the reason is so that that plan and purposes of God, which he had initiated and thought about and put in place and decided upon in eternity, could now be executed. They hadn't as yet uh, taken place. God had purpose to do certain things. He has decreed to do certain things. And those things haven't been done yet. So the world must go on. That plan of redemption uh, must be executed. Christ has to come into the world. That's already been determined in eternity past. And so uh, the, uh, this has to happen. That's one reason. Another reason, of course, is the Spirit must be uh, poured out. The elect uh, have to be brought in. Can't, it can't end now. The elect haven't come in. Uh, they are still unsaved. Still, uh, many of them, most of them, are still not even in, in existence. So the world 
uh, must continue for these uh, purposes. So in other words, friends, the world uh, had to continue so that the purposes of God can be uh, worked out. And this thought also comes to us uh, in this passage, in the, the covenant that God made with Noah, as we'll see in a minute. Just before uh, we look at it, uh, just think back again of uh, God's uh, goodness uh, to, to man. In this new world, he's created, as we saw last time, a safer environment for him uh, now to live in. Now those animals, they're fearful uh, of, of him, and uh, so they're not so prone to attack man as before at the flood. Man is uh, taught to respect uh, other people's lives. That's going to be a help, that deterrent, that if you take somebody's life, well, you're, you will lose your own. will teach them, not, will not only keep them from murder, but it will also uh, cause them to value and see the value that God places, the value they should place upon one another's life. Meat is now on the table and is an option for them uh, to eat. And of course, before that, the Lord had uh, promised that season after season will follow, year after year will follow right till the end of time. Seed time and harvest uh, will, uh, will, will continue right as long as the earth remains. That's what the Lord promised. Till the end of time, there will be sufficient food uh, for people uh, to live in this world. So provision is made uh, for man to live uh, in the world, for him to enjoy uh, this uh, world, not just to live in it, but to even enjoy the, the goodness of God. Yes, he's going to have to work by the sweat of his brow. Yes, the land is cursed, and there are cursed things that he'll have to deal with. But still, in the midst of even those things, God in his kindness and in his goodness has provided uh, things for them, for them uh, to enjoy. In uh, Paul's letter to, the, uh, to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, uh, the charge to the rich, uh, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God giveth us all these, the, the things around us for us to enjoy. My friends, I, may, I want to say something, and don't misunderstand me with what I say, but there is a worldliness that is not worldly. There is a worldliness that is not worldly. There is a, a worldliness that is not sinful. Not everything that is in the world is sinful. If it is, if it's anti-God, yes, of course, we come out from that, we avoid it, and we don't have anything to do with that because it's, it's sinful. But there are many things still left in the world for us to enjoy. Many things for us which God has left in place for us to discover even in this world. Things which are not directly spiritual. Things which are to do with the world. And, and it's uh, things which are obviously not sinful, uh, but uh, things which are there for us to, uh, to, to think about and uh, to appreciate uh, even in this uh, fallen world. Of course, we don't do uh, legitimate things can be a lot of 
time, excessive, uh, we can be excessively occupied even with legitimate things, but that's uh, something else we just have to bear in mind. But my point really is, uh, we are men still. We are women still. Uh, even saved men and saved uh, women. Redeem men, redeem women, but there's a wholesomeness that uh, the Bible encourages us to be. Wholesome men and wholesome women. Not spiritual only. We want to be more spiritual. This is our, our drawback usually. We're not so spiritual, but we want to be spiritual, but we don't want to be uh, sometimes we may think, well, to be more spiritual means I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sort of, uh, of a different world. You know, and we try and uh, be less and less like the unbelievers around us. And we don't want to follow the unbelievers in what, uh, what they are doing and their uh, sinful lifestyle. But at the same time, we are human, isn't it? And there are human things that we can uh, enjoy, natural things that we can enjoy. A redeemed humanity is a redeemed man. You think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Well, they were, they were uh, human beings. And they were appreciating all the goodness of God in a relationship with God at the same time. That's what I think uh, also is part of our uh, salvation. You think of the Lord. He was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. So he knew how to pray, of course, but he also knew how to weep, and he enjoyed uh, communion with the Father, uh, but he also enjoyed social contact and mixing uh, with other people. So i just say that uh, in passing, there are certain things, even in the arts, not much, but there are certain things in the arts which one can appreciate in literature, uh, secular literature as well, which may be of help to us and, uh, and of interest to us, uh, but of course, we want to maintain uh, primarily the spiritual things. But uh, both can be done alongside. So I just say that uh, as an uh, in starting. But let's look at this uh, covenant. In verses eight to eleven, God spake to Noah and his sons with him, saying, "And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you." God tells Noah and his sons. His intention. This is his purpose. This is his plan for them that he is going to preserve the world. This is the first time that they are hearing about it. In chapter 8 and verse 21, that's when God, we first come across uh, this covenant really, when God uh, says that he was not going to uh, uh, smite the earth and uh, every living thing again, and he was going to preserve the earth. But we read there in chapter 8, verse 21, it's something the Lord said in his heart. He hadn't revealed it as yet uh, to Noah and to the, the people. But now in chapter 9, this is the first time uh, he does. And he's, he could have withheld this information from them. He could have uh, kept it uh, to himself, hidden to himself. Oh, he could have said, oh, it's, it's look how those people behaved before the flood. Look at the, their, their sin and their evil. It would be better for them not to be aware of this covenant that I'm going to make with them, but keep them on, on tenterhooks. You know, keep them in some sort of suspense. Let them be anxious. That will keep, uh, keep them from sinning. Every time there's a cloud in the sky, let them feel some bit of terror that, and some fear. That would be good for them and keep them from sinning. God could have 
kept them on their toes in that way if he chose to do that. But he didn't. He didn't. He spoke to Noah. He revealed his covenant to Noah and to his sons and with an intention for, for their blessing to alleviate their fears he speaks these things and he tells them the world will go on. This is his purpose. This is his plan. The world will go on. And it's a simple point, friends, but uh, God speaks and uh, God uh, com communicates to us uh, his purposes and his plans. Think what it would be if we hadn't, didn't have the Bible in our hands. The Bible teaches us what God's intentions are for this world, what are his plans, and he has kindly and graciously revealed these things to us. And we look at our world, and we see how haphazard things are, and we see how terrible things are, and how, uh, what a mess it thinks, things are in, and it seems things just to, to be uh, uh, all over the place, and there seems to be little, little order in, in, what, in, what, in, in what God is doing, and yet in it all, the Bible tells us God is working out His purposes, His eternal decrees that He has de determined will happen. Then we know that at this time, one of those decrees is to call in those elect people through the preaching of the gospel. And that's happening. God is doing that. We, we know that. Why? Because the word of God uh, tells us God has spoken uh, to us. How lost we would be, friends, if we didn't know these things. How much in the dark we would be without the light of Scripture. So God spoke uh, to Noah. And then we look at this covenant. And here <coughs> in verse 9, I behold, And I behold, I Establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl and of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Now, a covenant, as I'm sure you know, is a solemn pledge. It's a binding promise. It's an undertaking by God in relation to mankind, a kind of compact or, or agreement, uh, we, could, we could say. And this Noahic covenant is God's solemn pledge to never again cut off all human life through a flood and never again to destroy the earth by such a world, worldwide deluge. God promises, God binds himself to conserve the world till the end of time till that last day and that final judgment when the world will be destroyed by fire and the world will be uh, come to an end at that time. But until that day, the world will continue. God will keep it in place. He has bound himself to do this. Through providence, he will preserve uh, and keep it going. Now, how, how young people need to hear this message? How the young people of the land need to hear and around the world need to hear this language because they are being so influenced and stirred up by the environmentalists and stirred up especially by this one young female environmental activist, an angry activist as she is, and stirring up our young people 
in, and putting them into a frenzy about their future and about this world and about what's going to happen to this planet and that we are destroying our, ourselves and we're destroying this planet and we need to save our planet and it's all in our hands it's all in man's hands and we've got to do something about it well this is an ex existential crisis uh, she says it's our, our livelihood and our future depends on saving the planet well, friends, God has spoken already before she spoke with a loud voice. And God has in this covenant said, I will preserve the world until the end of time. I will prevent, uh, I will keep it going. I will conserve it, conserve it. Oh, friends, yes, of course, we do our part. We want a, a cleaner environment. If fossil fuels are bad, yes, we want to find a cleaner uh, fuels. We want better air in London. We want cleaner air. We don't like the pollution that's around. But there's no need to panic. There's no need to panic, as, uh, as uh, uh, the environmentalists are, t are telling us and saying it's all in our hands. It's in God's hands. But then look at this covenant, friends. It's not really a spiritual covenant. It's not a part of the covenant of grace, as some, um, some do say. This covenant extends... Uh, as you can see, to all men, that's Noah and his sons and uh, their seed, their posterity, that's us, to every uh, human being, even alive today. And it's a covenant made with all the animals, irrational creatures, and uh, to preserve them and also uh, the earth. The covenant of grace extends only to believers. Now, if you know the covenant, I'm sure you know the covenant of grace is that which God the Father made with God the Son, uh, that if the Son uh, would go come into the world and give his life and sacrifice his life and take the punishment of a certain elect number of people upon himself, if he would do that, then God the Father would give to the Son all those people. And uh, uh, Christ agreed to come. He agreed to leave heaven and come into this world and die for that elect group of people. And it, it, it's a covenant not for everyone. But that's a covenant only for believers. But this we see is a covenant uh, of conservation. A covenant that extends to all men. Uh, believers and unbelievers is, are included. Of course, there, that doesn't mean to say there's no grace in this covenant. There is grace in the covenant. As, well, as there are in all God's uh, covenants. The fact that God deals with, with us in this way and with men in this kindly way is a, is a condescension on his part. The fact that he even makes a covenant with men is a condescension on God's part and a demonstration of his grace and of his kindness towards us and in giving to us these uh, undeserved uh, blessings and gifts. When you think about it, even the covenant of works that God made with Adam is a covenant of, in a sense, is a gracious covenant. Well, you may think, well, how can that be? Because Adam had a part to play. Adam had to obey. That was, uh, that was how can that be grace? Well, there's, there's grace in it because uh, the offer that God made and the reward that God made was a gracious one. All Adam had to do was to obey for a short period of time, and he failed, we know, but all he had to do 
was to keep that condition to obey for a while, and God offered him eternal life. God said, obey, and you will have enter into eternal bliss, eternal happiness, eternal nearness between me and you. We will never be separated from one another on that simple basis of obedience. So the, the, re, the offer and the, re, the, the reward, rather, uh, far outweighed the act that was required. Reward was one of grace as well. So all God's covenants are, has some gracious element in it. But uh, what, So while this Noahic covenant, is, we say it's not specifically the covenant of grace, nevertheless there is a grace in it. And we see the grace that is extended to all men. We could call it common grace. That God provides for people everywhere, even the, the, the thankful and the unthankful. And that uh, they're given space and they're given time to repent and to believe in the Lord. That's all gracious uh, in, uh, and uh, the goodness of God. But then, uh, secondly, let's look at the sign of the covenant in verses uh, 12 and 13. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, <clears throat> and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. A visible sign is given uh, here to Noah, a sign to uh, confirm uh, that God has established this covenant and will keep it. A sign, uh, what signs are often uh, attached uh, to the covenant. Remember when God made a covenant with Abraham, uh, the physical sign of uh, circumcision was given to him to remind the people that through the uh, family of Abraham, uh, the Messiah was uh, to come. The new birth uh, has uh, a sign as well. This, uh, sorry, the new covenant uh, also has a sign, and that sign is the new birth, the inner change that God the Spirit works uh, in us. The outward sign of that is, of course, uh, baptism. But here, the, the sign that God makes, uh, again, a gracious thing to do, that he allows uh, a physical sign to confirm uh, his, his purpose, uh, is this rainbow which is put in, into the cloud, cl into, into the skies. Well, was this rainbow, people ask, uh, was this rainbow something that existed beforehand, or is this something new that God put in place at this particular time? And the commentators here, well, they're, they're divided, but uh, there are, uh, the majority do seem to be on the side of uh, the, that it existed beforehand, and that now only God is using uh, the, the rainbow and setting it aside, uh, appointing it and giving it uh, this significance <laughs> that from now on, it is to be a sign that of, of this covenant that God will not destroy the earth again with a deluge, and John Calvin, amongst others, uh, takes uh, that view, although we cannot really be dogmatic or certain uh, about that. But the rainbow, it's a rainbow. Why a rainbow? Well, a rainbow, as you know, only appears or usually appears uh, after the rain, after a storm, a heavy storm. And so you imagine the people. If the peop whenever the people saw the rain coming at, at that particular time, they may have been frightened. 
They may have been scared. They may have thought, well, you know, is the rain going to stop like before? Last time the rain came and it never ceased for so many days. Is it going to be the same? And uh, they may have been struck with fear. In, but then when they saw the rainbow appearing, well, that would ease their fears. And then they would remember, oh, God uh, has uh, promised not to destroy uh, the earth uh, again in such a way. And so uh, that would have calmed uh, their minds. So it, uh, we know it, it appears <coughs> uh, when, the rain, uh, when the rain comes after a storm. But it was also here we see in the shape of a bowl. And uh, for, for this, why is it in the shape of a bowl? Well, uh, John Gill uh, gives this explanation, I, and uh, I think it's wonderful. Uh, he says it's, it's a bowl, firstly, without arrows. So, and it's a bowl that's not facing towards the earth, but it's facing away from the earth. God's judgment is turned away. God is no longer, as it were, angry. This is not, a, uh, not of wrath and of anger. Here is a token of kindness and of mercy as seen in the rainbow. And I think that's a, a lovely way uh, to look at it. So to ease the mind of Noah, this rainbow is set up as a sign and the people may go about their everyday life without any sort of nervous anxiety and, and trembling and fearing that any life, any time, their life may be taken uh, from them. And I, I, I was thinking of this and I was just thinking that, well, that's how God wants us to be as well as his children. If I've come to know him and I've come to rest in him and I've come to believe in him and I'm at peace with him through Christ and his anger is turned away from me, that his bow is no longer, as it were, pointed towards me. He is for me and he desires that I should go about as his child, not in nervous, trembling fear, that God is going to judge me, but realizing I'm his child, I'm his father, and rejoicing that assurance to go from day to day in the comfort of knowing that I am the Lord's without any fear about my spiritual state, not all the time examining my spiritual state. Am I a child of God? Am I not a child of God? Or if I've truly come to know him and I have those proofs done that I can look through my life and know that God has dealt with me and know, I know that I'm for him, well, then I can be at peace and walk from day to day with that assurance that he desires me as his child to have. But then, uh, finally, as we come to the last few verses here, God, remembering, uh, he's, uh, he says, God says, when he sees the bow in the cloud, verse 14, he will remember uh, his covenant and again, in verse 16, and when the bow is in the cloud, I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant that he has made. Twice over, God says, says this, when I see the bow in the cloud, I will remember. It's not that God forgets, of course, but of course, for our benefit, he tells us and uh, to remind us that God is not unmindful of his the covenant, the covenant that he has made. Sometimes it may seem to us as it is, but when you see, uh, when you read these words, it tells us he never forgets his covenant and he will uh, keep it. But there is 
something a little bit more uh, in these words. Uh, subsequent, now, of course, in this new world, things are a lot better. Things are not like pre-flood when there was violence and such terrible wickedness that was happening in the world. But things were going to degenerate into that state again. You know, probably, I don't know how long before things will fall into a state of wickedness once more. And the fear of God will disappear once again. And people will again forget God. And people will again apostatize from the worship of God. And the love of many will grow cold towards one another. And it will be again another time for judgment. Another time for God to pour out his judgment upon the people. But then we read these words. God says, I will remember uh, this, I will see the cloud, the, sorry, the bow in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant at that time. And again, we remind that God withholds his judgment. God exercises his patience and long-suffering, and uh, he will not send the global, uh, global judgment uh, upon us. And uh, it's, it's a, a mercy that is again extended to us. Yes, we deserved it. Yes, we deserved these things. But God, in his kindness, withholds these things and endures with us. Sometimes people ask, and maybe even believers ask, well, if there is a God, why doesn't he do something about all the evil that is in the world? Why, is, or why does God permit, as Christians we may say, why does God permit so much, so many bad things the, the unbelief to get so out of hand. Things are so bad. Things are so immoral. Why doesn't God do something about it? Well, God is a God of great uh, long-suffering. And his friends, he's giving people time to repent and to turn to him. This is part of his purpose and his plan, to give people the space and the time to hear the gospel and to uh, turn again to him in repentance and faith. Well, God, here in closing, God solemnly promised to Noah, the world will go on. He will preserve it. It has to. It has to go on, as we said, because God hadn't finished with it yet. There are still his purposes to be fulfilled. That plan of salvation to be put in place. Christ must come into this world to save sinners. And so this, that world had to be preserved. He's going to come and make an atonement for all who will believe in him. The Holy Spirit must come, be poured out, and effectually call and bring in the elect from where? From the four corners of this world uh, to himself and all to the glory of God. Thus, the world is preserved so that it gives God as well that opportunity to manifest uh, his name and his glory, so that we will be brought to fall down before him and to love and adore and praise him.